Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by IcarusFC.com and Roughneck Scarves. This is podcast number 295. With that number, let's give a shout out to all the U.S. soccer fans who traveled beyond U.S. borders to watch the U.S. last year, um, as well as, I guess, the fans of their opponents. <laughs> because in 2019, more than 295,000 fans watched the U.S. women in games played outside of the USA. Only once in the history of the team has that number been higher, and it was just a tiny bit higher in 2015 because, hey, it's a little bit easier to travel to Canada than it was to France, right? All right, so two chats today. First, with Jason Anderson from Black and Red United. Of course, we talked NWSL Challenge Cup with a focus on Washington Spirit. And and I did make Jason predict or offer his predictions for the quarterfinals. And then I spoke with my own Keeper Notes reporter, Grant Wiedenfeld, who has been lucky enough to be on site for a week in Harriman, Utah. Uh, watched, I think, maybe five match days. Um, so we spoke about his experience being at the game, also his thoughts on the Houston Dash and his predictions for, or rather his picks right now for who would be Golden Glove and MVP of the tournament. And in between these two chats, the Jen Spillaning segment returns this week. I talk about the penalty kick slash knockout round specific rules for the NWSL Challenge Cup. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Jason Anderson from Black and Red United, great site that covers the Washington, D.C. teams. And, of course, we're, we're thinking Washington Spirit right now. Um, Jason, you got to feel pretty good for the Spirit uh, finishing with that number two seed overall going into the knockout round. Would you have expected them to finish that high? Uh, I, I think that was a, a fair um demand to place on the team um somewhere in the top three i think um i I think some of this is the fact that i I think everyone knew north carolina would be in first that's not earth shattering for anyone Um, right but after that you've got um a team like portland is missing some very important players and they're trying to install a different uh, playing style, a different formation. So you kind of look at them maybe as a team that wouldn't necessarily be as high up as normal. Chicago has to figure out how to play without Sam Kerr. That's another thing that might have hurt them. So I, th- I think with the spirit, they came in knowing how they wanted to play. The pieces were all there. There weren't the, the starting lineup does have some new players, but it's not a ton of new players and it's not new players that require playing differently. Um, so I think the fundamentals, the foundation were all in place. And I also think the spirit, um, cause it, it, you look around at different teams and some teams are like, let's use this to build for the future. Um, I think the spirit did their building for the future last year. They got that started already. And now I think there's an, an interest in winning something, um, that, Every team's there trying to win, but there are certain teams that are willing to experiment a little more and and maybe take their lumps in this tournament. I think the Spirit are trying to get their hands on something because um, they want to, you know, we've we've talked, I think, uh, a few times uh, about the change in culture 
within the spirit. And part of that is uh, building a winning culture. And as much as you can talk about it and add leadership and things like that, one of the best engines for building uh, a winning culture is to start winning things. Um, you get that one and teams start to get going. Um, this happened with uh, North Carolina when they were still the flash. Right. Um, they won that final. And now it's, it's, you know, all of a sudden they've figured out how to win in the league at this level on a, such a regular basis. And there's no matching that experience. So I think, I think that's what the spirit's goal uh, is coming or was coming in and still is right now. Um, but it was, it's a tough path. You know, the, the tournament schedule they had laid out originally looked more inviting. Uh, whereas this time they've played the courage, the red stars, the thorns, Houston. So it's been a tougher path and they've still managed to get um, into a good spot. So I think that's a, that's something they can take away as a positive. And, you know, we've heard Paul Riley talk about how getting that experience is so crucial, right? Like you're talking about that one win, you know, that in a, in a knockout situation and a championship kind of brings on more wins because mm-hmm. now you know how it works. We even heard Rory Dames talk last year after the final that, you know, it was such a big hurdle for Chicago to get over winning a semi, mm-hmm. but he felt that they weren't completely prepared mentally to be in the final. Um, and that sounds strange maybe to those of us who aren't athletes. Right. But if, if you don't have that experience, it, you know, anytime it's the first time that that can be challenging. And when you look at club to club, who's been in knockout round games and who hasn't, it's mm-hmm. a very stark contrast of let's say haves and have nots. And, and I think that's the beauty of this tournament, especially with, all eight teams participating, getting to have at least one knockout game that could potentially go to PKs, right? But mm-hmm. it's not going to end just because it's a tie, right? Um, right? It's huge experience for all these clubs. And when I look at Washington, and I've said this on air, one of the things that I keep thinking about is that four first-round picks from the draft last year, and they were great picks We've seen a lot of great things from them. And we know we'll see more, especially with Tegan McGrady now healthy. Uh, But could they be similar to the four first-round picks that Western New York Flash had in 2015, being Lynn Williams, Sam Ewis, Abby Delcumper, Jaylene Hinkle, now Jaylene Daniels, who stick with the club, have all this great experience young. They're coming into a club that's basically – turning over its culture, turning over its lineup, right? I mean, the Spirit are the youngest roster in the tournament by far. Mm-hmm. And now they've been complemented with, uh, you know, another really solid draft class and Richie Burke having his first full offseason to go and find the players he wants for the system he's trying to play. Like, I, I love watching these you know, these club cultures form. Like we all know what the North Carolina culture is, right? Mm-hmm. We all know what the Portland Thorns culture is. Um, you know, Houston has struggled. Utah's way too young, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Sky Blue is kind of, you know, giving birth to a new, <laughs> the, the, the yeah. next iteration of Sky Blue. You know, so it's, it's, it's neat to see. And we've had this longevity in the league that we've never been able to enjoy 
in women's pro soccer in the U.S. So like mm-hmm. that, that one of the one of the stats that I like to follow each season is how many players do we still have that have played every season of the league, especially the ones who aren't national teamers, because that's like think of the stories that they're going to be able to tell of like, yeah, my first season, I was making six thousand dollars, <laughs> you know, that, that right. kind of thing. But anyway, long winded way of saying like I, I feel like the spirit are really building something and going into that Washington Houston match, like obviously, you know, as a, as a Houston girl, I'm like, I want Houston to win, but this, this could be their toughest match of all. Yeah. I think the, the spirit, um, the, that draft, um, having, having it stacked the way it was, um, was a process that, that the ball got rolling before, um, the coaching change. Uh, so, um, that goes back to, if you think of the number of trades Jim Cabarra made that he also orchestrated the uh, situation that got Mal Pugh to come to the spirit, which took a series of, I think it took three different trades that were all fairly remarkable. Um, yeah. Some of them were maybe not by choice. Um, I, I don't think the uh, Ali Krieger move was necessarily one that the spirit sat down and said, let's trade this player. It was more that player did not want to be with spirit anymore. Um, but it still was a series, a a long series of trades that eventually ended up with them in this position. And the, you know, the coaching change happened right before the draft. I, I remember asking, um, Richie at the draft afterwards, you know, you've only been in charge. I think it was only two weeks. Um, so I was like, how did you prepare for the draft? And he said that he had watched as much tape as he possibly could, but that most of the preparation was done by Tom Torres, the assistant coach. Um, and uh, Tom is pretty notorious for scouting the college game really, really thoroughly. And so um, giving him for, you know, giving the team and giving him four first round draft picks to work with. Um, I'm not surprised to see the success that they had. I mean, it was, a really strong, you looked at some of the other players that came through. It's a strong group of players, but um, I don't think it's a mistake that we've got, or we're talking about three unquestioned starters for the spirit and Dorian Bailey. uh, She stepped in, uh, in, in that last game and uh, didn't, didn't miss a single pass. I think it was 48 for 48, something like that. Um, And she also had to play two positions last year. She played, I think three or four different positions. So um, she's a really important player as well. Um, And when you think of that draft class, and then you add in the fact that the spirit also have barely cracked the surface with Rose Lavelle. Um, Right. This is, this is the first year where she's been healthy for uh, most of the games. Um, The fact that, Paige Nielsen came in and it, it, when she was signed, it wasn't even exactly clear what their plans were for her um, because she had played as a forward in, in the Korean league. She had played as a forward for the rain uh, when she was drafted initially. Um, I think she spent some time training as a right back before they, they plugged her in in the middle. And it's, it's been um, as much as the spirit style of play is drawing most of the attention. I think the strength of their team in terms of wins and losses uh, since uh, Burke has come in has been that the center backs and Aubrey Bledsoe have been so good. Um, So it's not just the draft class. um, It's also Lavelle, Nielsen. Those are not players that are in their late 20s. They're in their mid-20s. It's all over the field. 
uh, Andy Sullivan is, you know, she's injured right now, but um, when she comes back from that, she's also a player that hasn't even hit her peak yet. Um, So they're, they're like that all over the field. So I, I think, I think that they certainly view the opportunity uh, or the, maybe I shouldn't even phrase it like that. I think the expectation they've placed on themselves is to get to that level where they are competing with a, a team like North Carolina every single year. Um, I think Richie came in with a three-year plan. Um, I don't know this year being so disrupted uh, for everybody in so many ways. Um, I don't know if he's going to feel like, year four or year three is really going to be year three. Um, But I do think that they are making strides in that department. I'm also, um, as I'm saying all this, I pulled up the draft list to make sure I had the order of players right in my head. And I'm noticing that Bailey Feist, who wasn't, she was a second round pick in that group has also been really, really good. Um, So yeah, I think they've set themselves up to be very, very good in uh, not, not just, for the next year or two, but for quite a while, um, this is not going to be a thing where you're thinking, oh, they're just, you know, two or three pieces away from really putting it together. I think the depth is there. The, the type of player that can play the spirit style of soccer is there. Um, you don't see sometimes in the league, you see good players playing for the wrong team where they just don't fit the style of play. Um, you don't really see that with the spirit. You see a lot of players where it's like, it makes sense that this player is on a team that's trying to play this way. Um, So yeah, I think, I think they're very well set up. Um, It would be potentially, I I think there's potential in the DC area. If the spirit become a year in year out contender for this to really become a huge deal. Um, People were, were really excited to get to the stadium. If anything, they were, um, frustrated that there weren't going to be more games at Audi field um, than they were saying like, Oh, well there's four, that's still an improvement. It was like, why can't it be all 12? Um, so <laughs> the, the demand is ramped up. Um, the club culture is pushed towards um, not just hoping to win games, but becoming a team that expects to win games. And I, I think they're getting close. Uh, and you know, this knockout round might be, where they kind of get over that last hurdle. Uh, if, if they, they, they're going to have to play a lot better uh, if they come across the courage in the final. Um, should that be the way things shake out? I think that would be unsurprising if the courage get, get to the final from that side of the bracket. Um, they will have to play a lot better to do that, but um, the opportunity is there. I, I think it's not inconceivable that they really break through uh, and use the challenge cup to be some sort of new, um, a new benchmark for them as a club. So what do the spirit do going into the knockout round, knowing that they won't have Andy Sullivan? That's, that's the million dollar question Um, (laughs) because they, I I think they were absolutely expecting her to play 90 uh, from the Houston game onward. Um, I I, I think you, you have to look at what, what they did in, in a pinch, you know, she went down, she came off right away. There wasn't a, a lot of time between when she went down hurt from when they brought in Maggie Doherty Howard off the bench. So the gut instinct from the coaching staff was to bring in Doherty Howard and, and play her exactly in the same position. Um, so that's, I would assume that that's option one. That's, that's the thing that they're going to evaluate the most. Um, but there are other places or other players they can use. Um, Jay Bossieri played 
Uh, she came in for Sullivan and played that deep role uh, against Carolina for 20 minutes. Um, so if that's something that they're at least they have on their mind as, as something that she might be able to do. Um, they do have the possibility of bringing um, Dorian Bailey at right back or Jenna Hellstrom at right back and moving Tori Huster back into the midfield. Um, and they, they could also shift their formation a little bit and maybe their 4-3-3 becomes more of a 4-2-3-1 and those two holding midfielders are holding a little more, whereas right now they've been playing with um, the triangle points the other way and, and the 10 and the 8 uh, are pushing up high and the, the 6 is staying home. Um, so that's also a possibility. Um, I'm sure that they didn't spend a lot of time before the tournament trying to figure out what they would do in the event that Sullivan was unavailable, because I think they expected her to be available for the entire tournament. Um, so yeah, if, if they can figure out how to win this thing without her, um, that's, that's taking it up a whole nother level in terms of being just a remarkable achievement because the spirit style of play is really built around um, being able to play under pressure out of the back, um, having defensive players and defensive midfielders under pressure, still able to complete their passes and keep the ball moving. Um, and without Sullivan there, uh, it's a big test for whoever gets that job. Um, you know, Doherty Howard, I thought did all right against Houston, but I think the spirits that whole, that whole game, you know, they were playing really well until the injury. Um, but they'd also, they'd moved Bailey back uh, to left back for the second half. And then on top of that had uh, to make a sub they didn't expect to make. And I think things got kind of a little more ragged for them and they kind of got tired as well. Um, so it's hard to get a read on exactly what this is going to look like without Sullivan. But I, I think if you ask me, I, if you told me I had to put money down on something, I would say probably Doherty Howard uh, playing the six from the start. Um, but there are plenty of options. Richie, uh, Richie Burke and the coaching staff have shifted formation at time at times to avoid uh, certain mismatches. So they're not afraid of changing things. They tried a diamond against Carolina, for example. Um, last year, they moved Sullivan around in the midfield in case I, I think there was a game against Sky Blue where they played her um, right of center rather than at the, at the base of the midfield specifically to deal with um, Imani Dorsey overlapping on the left. So they're not a team that says we're not going to alter what we're doing to deal with this specific threat or this specific absence. Um, so it, they are kind of a difficult team to predict because they have a lot of options and it could go a lot of different ways. But I, I think that the, the, the lowest odds should be just Doherty Howard steps in for Sullivan. Well, let's talk about um, other teams in the tournament. Um, you know, who who's stood out for you as maybe surprises or players to watch on some of the other teams? Because I know you've watched every game. I, you know, I've I've been. I know I'm not the only person that's been impressed by Jennifer Cujo uh, with Sky Blue um, coming in without any NWSL experience. Her her experience in the um, uh, WPSL. Um, it was, it's a very, it's an unknown. We don't see too many players that we used to see it, but we don't see too many players coming from the lower ranks of, of women's soccer in America jumping in. We see draft picks get those chances, but not necessarily players who didn't get drafted. Um, and I think she's been a really pleasant surprise. Um, 
I think the first game, it seemed like the role for her wasn't really right, but now she's a little further forward. Um, they've looked a lot better. Uh, they look really fluent in the passing game. Um, she has some some bite when they're defending. She's she's putting in tackles, so it's not just an attacking midfielder who doesn't make an impact without the ball. Um, so I, I've been um, I've been pleased to see that. I think it's really good where. With with Sky Blue, the fact that there's such a the whole thing is such a work in progress still there. Um, they've come a long way, but there's still work to be done. And the fact that they they found a player th- from such an unorthodox uh, place to find players uh, is something that maybe the other teams in the league need to look at um, because you have to assume that it's not the whole league had one player that was capable of making that step. There's got to be uh, some others. Um, I'm trying to make sure I I'm scrolling through. I keep my own notes. Uh, I want to make sure I don't miss anyone. You know, I don't have to tell you being, being from Houston that Shea groom has really looked good in this central role. Yeah. Um, It's been, it's an interesting thing because I've, I know I've had a few conversations with people over the years about whether she might be better coming off the wing because she'd been a winger for so long. Um, And not only seeing her make use of that role, but then, I think it was right after the first game, um, the question was asked of James Clarkson, you know, is that the plan or was this like a first experiment? And he said, no, 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 Shea Grimm's going to be in the middle for us. We want her in that spot. That's what what she's here for. Um, And that's been it's been really cool because it's a look we don't see a lot in the league because she's not necessarily a playmaking number 10. Uh, She is a goal threat from there. She's constantly running. She's. a really good partner for Rachel Daly because they both put in so much work without the ball that they're difficult to play against. And they're also difficult to mark when the dash do have the ball. So um, I, I'm happy to see that for her and, and for the dash, because I think it's something that last year they didn't have enough of that, that extra threat um, in their front four. And she's changed that dynamic for sure. Um, uh, I think I also, uh, I'll, I'll shout out, um, uh, Elizabeth Ball with Utah. Um, yes, yes, I've been very impressed with her. You know, I, I know um, some of the folks with Rose City Review were saying after the Sauerbrunn trade went in, they said, don't, you know, tell, trying to tell Utah fans, like, don't assume that this is just a player that was tossed in um, and she's just making making trade weight so that uh, the trade can go through. This is a good player. And um, I think this them playing with a back three has been a perfect fit for her. Um, because, you know, in Portland, sometimes with them in the back four, sometimes she looked a little bit like she'd play right back, but sometimes she looked like maybe someone who needs to be in a three or maybe even just playing center back. She has those center back instincts and playing in a back three, it's the perfect role for her because it's, it, the stuff that she can do as a fullback is still there. You still have to have that speed to get out to the wing and shut things down sometimes. Um, and that range of passing that comfortable uh, nature in possession, but she's still got some of those center back instincts and she's closer to the middle of the field. So those instincts are getting rewarded. So that's been, that's been really cool. I think Utah has been um, a really interesting team to watch in every single game because it, you know, when you look at their roster, you say without, um, you know, they trade Sauerbrunn. Kristen Press isn't there. Um, the big superstars are not really present for them. Uh, and yet they're getting it done with players that are new to the team or are in unfamiliar roles. And that's always really fascinating to me to watch 
a team figure it out on the fly. And that's, you know, a really promising thing for Craig Harrington going forward. I really feel like the first round is the preseason matches that we didn't get to have, mm-hmm. right? Because no one had been able to scrimmage anyone other than themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have clubs in different phases of established to, you know, major renovations, right? A couple of new coaches. Um, so I, I feel like in a way the knockout round is the start of the regular season. Of course it will be a very short regular season and it is yeah. <laughs> knockout. Um, but I am glad, I mean, unfortunately for Orlando not to be able to be in the tournament, but because it ended up only being eight teams, I'm glad that all eight participants get to have one knockout game. So you're not sending one of nine home, you know, mm-hmm. after the first round. So last question for you, Jason, and, and, and it might be a little unfair, but, but I, I want your predictions for each of the four quarterfinals. Okay. Uh, I can, I can do that. Um, I think, uh, I think the courage are going to beat the thorns. I think, I think it's going to be a close game, much like the first game of the tournament was, um, I don't know that Portland's going to create very many chances, much like in the first game of the tournament, but um, I do think the Courage will eventually get their break. It'll, it'll be a typical tough Courage game where they're having control of play, but they can't quite break through and they finally get one. And then they usually come up with a second pretty shortly thereafter because that's just uh, the magic trick that they pull on a weekly basis. So um <laughs> I think they'll eventually break Portland down and, and get the goals they need to, to advance. Um, Houston, Utah is a really tough one. Um, they've played each other already. So Utah's element of surprise, as far as changing formation, uh, that's off the table. Um, Houston playing groom in a central role is not going to be a surprise anymore. So that's pretty fascinating. I think some of that comes down to, you know, how, how much can Kelly O'Hara play? Cause that's a big, that's a big change for um, uh, Utah as much as their other right. wingbacks have done well. But if she's got 45 minutes or 60 minutes, then that could be a big thing. I, I, I do. I think Houston, I, I think the having a few days to collect themselves um, that third game, I think the rotation, um, the players that came in had an off day um, and playing the spirit, it's kind of a tough one because you do so much chasing in that game. But that was another game where they had shifted some pieces around a little bit. Rachel Daly spent some time wide just to give themselves a chance to look at that. Um, I think it's going to be Houston, but I mean, if that game goes to penalties, I would not be surprised. Um, I, I, I don't that, know. That, if it, That's what I was thinking. It's like yeah. we could really see penalties in that. I don't know if it's going to be three, three again. Um, I will say that I don't expect it to be quite so high scoring, um, but I think it's a very, very even, potentially a very even game uh, between two teams that have been pretty fun. Um, the spirit sky blue. I think the spirit are going to extend their, um, I think it's three years now since they've lost to sky blue. Um, I, I think as much as sky blue has grown as the tournament has gone on, um, I think the spirit, both of them are teams that want to keep the ball. I think the spirit are going to be better at that. And generally speaking, when you're a young team that can't get to play the style you want, which is what I 
for C for sky blue in this game. They just won't have enough of the ball to play the possession game that they'd like. Um, that tends to be a big challenge having to play a different way because you just can't get a hold of the ball. So um, I don't, I don't know that I foresee the, the one thing with the spirit is they haven't been able to turn when they've controlled games. They haven't been able to turn it into that second goal often enough. Um, so I do have my reservations about that, but I think they'll eventually they'll, they'll get through. Maybe that one's a two, one in my mind, sky blue, getting a goal late, making it dramatic. Um, that final game, um, uh, OL rain versus the red stars. Um, I think that's a game. I, I think maybe that's even more likely to go to penalties in my mind than Houston and Utah. Um, I, or maybe I think, a crazy stoppage time. Yeah. Game that, winner. Um, but I think that's going to be a game of very few chances because the rain have tried to use possession to help protect their defense to a certain extent, because that's a new look defense um, under a new coach. So they're trying to learn to play a different way. Um, Chicago has done a fairly good job of being difficult to play against, but they haven't quite figured out how to turn that into um being good going forward and creating a lot of real chances. So I think that's going to be a, 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 a tough kind of physical game um, that ends up probably, I, I hate to say zero, zero, but I think that one might be zero, zero and going to penalties. Um, and as far as who would win it, I think I'll go Chicago. It's it, they're, they're all going to be great to watch, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like when, when I can't pick a team, I just root for, okay, I want a really good game, right? I want everybody watching, especially since we know that there's a lot of new eyes watching to go like, wow, I mm-hmm. want to keep watching this. Well, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about uh, not only the spirit, but the rest of the tournament and keep up the great work you're doing on black and red, black and red, excuse me, united.com. Thank you so much for having me on. Time for some gensplaining. Uh, this week, I want to talk about the rules specific to the knockout round of the NWSL Challenge Cup. Quarterfinals, July 17th and 18th. Semifinals, July 22nd. And the championship game on Sunday, July 26th. So, knockout round games, these will not feature extra time. If games are tied at the end of regular play, they will go straight to penalty kicks which makes sense when we've seen how tired some of these players are already, especially uh, playing at altitude and in in a pretty dry heat. So games that are tied at the end of regulation go straight to penalties. For those of you who might not be familiar with the penalty kick shootout, it's best of five. So each team has to name their first five shooters. Whichever team converts best of five they win, or rather they advance to the next round. If at the end of each team having five shooters take an attempt, they're still tied, then they go into what's called sudden death, where the next person from each team comes up, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next, and even the goalkeepers are in that rotation, and you keep going through the rotation until one team converts and the other team doesn't. Teams are still allowed up to five subs in the knockout round games, uh, but they must make those subs before 
the ref has blown the whistle at the end of the second half. Um, once he's blown the whistle, you can't change your roster. Your kickers and your keeper are from the 11 players on the field. The only exception to that, if there is a keeper who for some reason gets injured during the penalty kick shootout or heaven forbid gets a red card (laughs) during the penalty kick shootout. And seriously, I've seen that happen once before. Then they have to, the team has to pick somebody else within that group that's on the field to serve as, as the goalkeeper, a very strange situation to be sure, but you know, they have rules for that. So quarterfinals, semifinals, and final um, Friday's winners will meet in the early semifinal on Wednesday, July 22nd. Saturday's winners will meet in the evening semifinal on the 22nd. And then semifinal winners meet in the championship game, which, yes, will be live on CBS, like plain old CBS in the USA. Uh, I did set up a bracket on keepernotes.com. So if you head over there, you can download a fun little PDF bracket to fill out if you'd like. All right, Jen Cooper here with Grant Wiedenfeld from, of course, keepernotes.com our roving reporter who made it all the way to Harriman, Utah to cover games in person, but of course, socially distanced. I mean, Grant, what was that like? You were there for a week's worth of games. Uh, so how many games did you see? And, and what was that experience like compared to, you know, you've been in an NWSL stadium as a fan and as press before this? Well, boss, it was uh, great to have the privilege to go out on behalf of Keeper Notes to cover the games. I mean, I love watching soccer live, and uh, it's just great to be there at the game. Even though there are not a lot of fans there, I mean, hardly any at all, um, you sort of forget about that at a certain sense, uh, to a certain extent. And Maybe I missed out on having the crowd noise pumped in. It was exciting enough to be there and be able to hear the players and the coaches out there talking. Um, They're just as engaged as I see them play at BBVA in Houston. So the soccer feels just as real as any other time. Yeah, they, I mean, they they look so focused. and, And that's a good point about the crowd noise because, you know, we can't hear hear the raw audio. The fans can't hear the raw audio. Um, so forget that that they're not having that extra noise bumped in, and they're just for them. It probably feels a little bit more like a scrimmage, right? Like a closed door scrimmage where you can hear everything, um, everything that would be said. You know, um, have you have you heard anything fun or interesting or? Oh, yeah. Um, there's some teams that are more vocal than others and, and, you know, people connected to the teams. I mean, the first time I noticed this was when I was sitting on the side. Uh, it was the uh, courage, not, not last, uh, who did they play um, last night? Sky Blue. I was, the press side is on the home team's side of the field which is on the right so i was Uh on the sky blues side 
the other night. But the previous match with uh, Sky, it was Courage against, can you, do you remember who they played in the last match? Courage was against Sky Blue? And uh, yeah, but the match before that. Oh, oh, Rain Portland. Uh, no, but the, the previous Courage match. Oh, the previous Courage match would have been Chicago. Yes. So, yeah, I believe the Courage was, Courage was home in that one. And Courage, they cheer their own team coming out more than anyone. It's, it's a bit of an absurd situation, right? They have the whole pregame ceremony and they go through it with the, you know, the piped in music where, you know, everyone, you know, they have the stadium announcer who says, please welcome the uh, North Carolina Courage and the Chicago Red Stars. And they cue in some symphonic music. Da, 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 da. That's <laughs> nice, then, though, to give it a sense yeah. of occasion, right? <laughs> yeah, and the Courage play along, and they all clap their team very loudly. Like, yeah, yeah, you're the best. Oh, here they come, you know, <laughs> as, as they all walk out. Um, <clears throat> you know, Sam Mewis and and Dal Kemper and Dabinia and, and who, whoever is starting, they're looking over there kind of giving the royal wave to their teammates who are cheering them on, who are basically <laughs> the only ones there uh, cheering. So now, that's how fun. Many, how many times um, have on you their seen? side of the bench, you know, the Jess McDonald and the o- players in the little overflow section there are really loud supporters. Um, <clears throat> and, <clears throat> you know, Sky Blue or also loud um, in criticizing the ref. And then there are other coaches that are also criticizing the ref too. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of which, which coach in particular was Chicago uh, and uh, Dames were kind of hard on the refs or uh, sometimes too, there's, uh, you know, just different personalities that you get to see and hear at full volume because there are no fans uh, driving them out. So it was a great experience uh, to be that close. How many times have you seen um, players in the stands, obviously apart from you, but watching other, other games, right? Like not the players that are not dressed or injured watching their own game, but players from other teams coming to the stadium to watch a game. That was a little bit harder for me to tell which other players were there because the media section was on the, uh, you know, the home side, the north side, and the the players who came to watch, they sat about three sections down on the um, on the south side. So I couldn't really tell. The, I did see last uh, two nights ago for the the courage sky blue match. i I spotted Jane Campbell down there. And I looked over and she happened to see me and I threw up a, you know, Houston hold it down sign and she responded. So um, that was the one, you know, one player that, that I noticed, but. Well, and um, it's gotta be hard when you can't, everybody's masked up. So unless they have really distinctive hair or clothing style, they might mm -hmm. be hard, hard to identify. And of course, Jane's hair is so striking that she's probably the easiest one, one of the easiest ones to identify from a distance. Well, so let's talk about the dash. Um, you saw 
their second, third, and fourth first round games. Um, so not the three three crazy draw with Utah, but the other games. Thoughts on on the dash on on those three games and the progression uh, of the games. It it was uh, really exciting when they scored the you know the second goal. Um, kind of Shea Groom's air groom header there off of the the cross from Daly in that second game. That was a real high point. And I think everybody, I mean, the Dash felt excited for the next game against Sky Blue. But what was maybe a little bit surprising and, and in retrospect felt like an omen for there being a bit of a downturn was before the third game against Sky Blue, uh, Houston was now the visiting team. And so I was, and the media was closer to the Sky Blue side. They were very loose during warmups. They're always, they have a DJ who who just plays, um, you know, kind of popular, Oh, uh, hip hop warm up music. I, I hear all ninety minutes of the pregame music because I have it. I'm I'm plugged in audio wise to the field for the ninety minutes leading up to kickoff. So it's, right. it's, it's a very interesting mix of music. It's all over the map. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and sky, the fact that Sky Blue was so loose and into it before uh, seemed odd, but they played they played loose and confident, and and Houston. Um, definitely was surprised and tightened up. But, you know, every time they come out of the breaks, they would recover well. Um, and I think we're starting to, um, <clears throat> you know, kind of like we saw at the end of the 2019 season that they're facing a challenge, but they're kind of um, <clears throat> hunkering down a bit. Well, that makes it sound defensive, but they're, they're, they're getting focused and, um, chipping away at that at the pressure and starting to reassert themselves. So, I think there was you know kind of a an, a quick high, almost an easy high that they attained, and um, you know f- fell fell a little bit and are climbing their back, way back up. It's been an interesting stretch, and and it's such an unusual situation where you know they're all in one place for a series of games. And they can't go have a day off to really get away from where they are, right? Um, It's a compressed schedule at altitude. The heat's pretty tough. You know, you can also throw turf in there, not having a preseason, all these things, right? Um, Bigger roster, five subs, whatever you want to call it. Um, It it does make me glad that we won't have to see extra time in in the knockout stage. But I think half the story for all these teams is – managing the mental side um especially when you know everyone's coming off of pretty long lockdown to then get to utah and it's a different kind of lockdown right and you're not even at home um and and i hope that you know a little bit of the extra rest you know they played sunday and then they don't play till friday night like maybe we'll see see the dash come back up like you're talking about and and having four you know, pretty intense games, all very different kind of games, but still ending up with the fourth seed because of all the goals they scored, right? We had four teams tied on four points 
and they all had the same uh, goal differential as well. So the next tiebreaker was goal scored and and Dash had that. Um, You could argue it might've been better to be sixth or seventh. So they would be not having to play till Sunday or Saturday and being on the opposite side of the bracket from North Carolina, but you know, bottom line, you got to beat the good teams to win. And and I'm kind of excited to see a rematch of that first game against Utah because now each team has four games under, under their belts. Um, I don't think we're going to see a high scoring draw again right like the the first game was Mm -hmm. so hard to predict for all the teams um so i think houston utah could really be a chess match yeah in my opinion the four teams who look the best are all on the same half of the bracket uh, as as it worked out or at least at one time or another looked um the best not to say that and and I'm discounting the Washington spirit here because of Andy Sullivan's injury. Um, but um, yeah, I'm optimistic for the, for the dash. I think that uh, the mental game is a huge part of it, like you say. And that's something that I couldn't get a read on when I was out there for the very reason that they're feeling it is that they're so isolated. Even, you know, me as a media person out there, there is no mixed zone. Uh, right. I don't get to talk to any of the players up close and, and see how they feel. Um, I I just watch them, you know, from the stands is and during warmups is that's the only way that might be a little bit closer than what you see online. But if they are in isolation from from um, other teams and from you know the fans uh, from everyone physically, so. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough. And thoughts on 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 the other the other matchups for quarterfinals? It's my just a just a pure guess or gut uh, because I'm certainly no expert when it comes to soccer, but it feels set up for Chicago that Chicago played the the group stage, uh, whatever you want to call it, by experimenting, by rotating, and they're facing a spirit who, you know, have some injuries and, in fact, didn't look so strong once Andy Sullivan came off uh, the field. Right. And it's, it's, it's a little bit more up in the air. So I feel like there's, there's, a, there's a good this, – this is a, the time where the Red Stars could peak in this tournament and, and really have the bracket – in their favor yeah I mean the way the bracket worked out and it was you know crazy Sunday and Monday you know working through the permutations where it's like okay you know don't don't get ahead of ourselves just just see what happens right but knowing that we could have so many teams tied on points where an 18 table but they've only played four games so you know you you end up not really being able to use head-to-head basically uh, makes for a really weird, weird bracket. Um, but I'm glad that at least half of the quarterfinal brackets aren't rematches, right? At least we we have a couple of a new matches. Um, and that, you know, I've, I've talked about this before, but that all the teams that participated get to have a knockout game. Um, we have so rarely seen penalty kick shootouts 
in end of your cell. Basically we've seen it once after the 2016 end of your cell final, not saying it's something you have to have, but it's like, it's this extra excitement thing, uh, especially to go straight from regulation to penalties this weekend. If any game is tied, right. Like, like puts an added pressure on me. Maybe that's the difference. The last five minutes of a game, um, in, in, in motivating someone, right. Where you're like, no, this can't be a tie. This can't end in a tie. We don't want to go to penalties or, Hey, if we just score one goal, we've tied it up and we still have a chance on penalties, right? Like that, that, that extra drama, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think anything that gets people, gets people engaged. And I mean, for a player, it sucks to lose that way. Um, but you know, there are a few things that match the drama of, of watching a, a penalty kick shootout. And I think it's hysterical that we have, haven't had a single penalty kick attempt even in the entire first round. Right. So I know it's going to, it's going to make the first call just put so much more pressure on it. Right. I know. I know. It's like, I mean, is there a pact in the refs of like, all right, we're not going to call penalties. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's not, but it's just kind of funny that we, during the end of cell regular season, we see, pretty commonly, you know, penalty kick calls. So yeah, maybe it's just, maybe it'll start peaking in the quarterfinals and we'll not only have maybe a couple of shootouts, but also penalties within regulation. Well, Grant, I mean, really anything could happen. That's what's so exciting about this. I mean, I I sounded really high in Chicago there for a minute, but I don't want to overlook the rain, uh, especially with, you know, Jess fish Fishlock, who just got some time and, uh, um, you know, Sophia Huerta got her first start. There's there's some excitement there. Onamonu has looked good for Sky Blue. You know, okay, Washington doesn't have Andy Sullivan, but looks like Lavelle is going to be well rested. Dorian Bailey right. um, had some nice nice plays. Um, you know, Ash, Ash, Ashley Hatch, um, Ashley Sanchez. There's there's all these people with flashes on that side of the bracket as well who. Um, could come up with something wild. Christine Sinclair feels like she's been on the verge of the goal so many times. And, yes. you know, against yes. North Carolina, she could drop two in there. Uh, you, you know, it, anything is possible. Yeah. I just hope, I, I just hope it's, it's, it's goals, right? I, I don't want to, I don't want another scoreless game and that it goes to, to penalties. I want, I want some goals. I want some excitement. Uh, so well, final- yeah, let's call the call the penalties early, and then <laughs> once the score opens up, then the play will open up, and that that will be much more fun than this kind of oh, we're not going to call anything and uh, yeah. be tight zero zero matches, right? Well, last last question for you, Grant. Um, so, say the tournament ended today, and you got to pick who was the Budweiser MVP. I think they're sponsoring the MVP, and who was the Verizon golden glove who who would your choices be and why Ooh, um i haven't thought about this at all so you're really putting me on the spot here um <clears throat> and if well, it's one or two people if you have to throw in that, that okay. that's fine. It's a hard okay thing. well my, my mvp is going to be shade room uh because it's, it's such a surprise um and scored scored the goals if she could share it with rachel daly as well because it seems like their if their chemistry has been so key for houston i'm a homer 
I'm going to give it to Groom and Groom and Daly. <laughs> All right. So, what about Verizon Golden Glove? Because you can't really give okay, it. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it really. I'm not so much a homer that I can give it to Campbell yet. So I'll give it to uh, Audrey Bledsoe, who has looked just fantastic out there. Um, I, I, yeah, I feel like she's channeling Hope Solo or something. Just these kind of <laughs> icy looks that she that she gives uh, across the field, and uh, just the way she carries herself, very confident. So, so is Bella Bixby, by the way. Um, <clears throat> a lot of good keepers, but uh, yeah, Audrey Bledsoe has has stood out to me in what I saw. Well, the very first game that I called for the tournament, which was the Washington. Um, Chicago match that that first Saturday night um the audio on our end we weren't hearing the crowd noise that's the one game I called where we weren't hearing the piped in crowd noise we were actually hearing just the ambient noise from the stadium it took me a while to realize that the person yelling in my ear wasn't a coach on the sideline or some angry teammate it was Aubrey Bledsoe yelling at her teammates the entire time, you know, to, to mark up or, mm-hmm. to move or to win this, or you got this or move here. Cause I kept thinking, I was like, what coach is on the sideline yelling this much, right? It d- doesn't seem like a coach. It took me a while to realize it was, it was her. She was intense. So I, I, yeah. I, I totally recognize your remark of she's chilling <laughs> hope solo and just, uh, you know, controlling. Yeah. Her, her defense from that. I mean, you, you need a keeper like that. And like you mentioned early, we don't often get to hear all the details of what the players are, are saying on the field to each other. Yeah. She may have not had the best saves so far. I mean, like Michelle Betos has some great, has had some great saves um, uh, among, among others. But as far as the keeper that feels most feared to me or, or, or the, 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 strongest wall right now uh, it uh it's blood so so we'll see we'll see how it plays out here against sky blue on saturday yeah it could it could be a very very prophetic choice on your part well grant thank you for for risking your yourself to go <laughs> to harriman utah and enter the media bubble obviously you weren't in the player bubble um you know to to be there on site and you know share some some thoughts and memories and of course i'll share some of the pictures you sent to um online but uh, we'll see we'll see how your predictions play out thanks jen Right, time to wrap it up with the back four, and I will keep this short and sweet like I did last week. Number one, the NWSL shop is open, nwslshop.com. It has NWSL Challenge Cup merch as addition to merch for all nine clubs. Eventually, they'll have jerseys, not yet, uh, but they do have a lot of great merch to start. I've been told they're going to ship internationally. I'm not seeing that option yet, but keep an eye out for that. Number two, Don't forget, every club has its own online store. Go to the club website. There's usually a a link for shop or store, and it is, for the most part, different merchandise than what's on NWSL shop. Um, 
most of the online stores do have jerseys and offer the authentic customization. You can get a player name and number or even your own name and number, whatever you want to do. Uh, definitely check that out. Third, keeping uh, keeping along with the shopping theme, my almanac, uh, the NWSL almanac that Keeper Notes has produced since 2016, a nice 350-page book with anything and everything about the league for all seven seasons. It's also available in PDF, so you can go to keepernotes.com and even check out a sneak preview of it before you order. And last, highly recommend if you want more news about women's soccer, subscribe to equalizersoccer.com or The Athletic. Um, you know, I would also recommend subscribing for free to Just Women's Sports, uh, a fairly new website that's founded uh, by a former Stanford women's soccer player. So lots of great options out there for you, for those of you looking for more, more gear or just more info. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. I want to give a big thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US Soccer. And also IcarusFC.com, great place to go if you're tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas. You can make a completely custom kit for your team. Just go to IcarusFC.com. And of course, big, big shout out to both the Beautiful Game Network and my producer, Sean, for making this podcast possible. But now she's everybody's good.